1: Welcome back to another episode of the Two Tongues podcast. Just a single, single tongue for you this time. I hope you like it. We're going to talk Jordan Peterson today. It's been some time since we've done that. Uh, we used to talk. We used to talk a lot about Jordan, and haven't been doing that much. We've been getting into all kinds of other things. However, the great Dr. Peterson was on Joe Rogan's podcast again for the first time in a long time, and um, it was good. Um, They covered a bunch of topics that really weren't particular to Jordan's work, Um, and I don't know that I find that all that interesting, but they did, at one point, start having this conversation, and Jordan was going off on a a pretty extended monologue, Um, and there was a section there I really liked, and I listened to it twice, I rewounded it, listened to it again, and uh, I was like, I I gotta talk about this, so it was kind of brilliant. I don't really know how to introduce it, so I'll do my best. If you guys are interested, uh, episode 1,933 of the Joe Rogan Experience, um, relatively recently published. Um, So if you want to listen to that and get up to speed with me, you can. But I'm going to give you some large quotes from this in a section where Jordan's talking about God. Surprise, surprise. That's something that uh, caught my ear. And it's not really anything I haven't heard from him before. But I think I understood it in a way that I haven't understood it before, so I want to talk about it with you and see if see if it makes sense to you the way that I, the way that I uh, uh, frame it. So there's this experience that I talked about from my own mystical experience. It's a well, I, I've used the word intuition. I've used the word knowledge. Um, there's some sort of intuition that you receive from a mystical experience. Uh, You know what I mean when I talk about being one with the universe, that sort of experience, uh, whether you achieve that through psychedelic uh, drug use, whether you achieve that through meditation or sensory deprivation or whatever it is, you get to a point where, and not every time, but but on certain instances when when things are just right, where you have a full-blown mystical experience, a one-with-the-universe experience, and, and when that happens, you have knowledge of something. That you didn't before. you have knowledge of whatever this experience is. It's hard to explain. In fact, you don't really have the words to explain it. It's noetic as they say. Um, so I don't really know really exactly know how to say this. I know something that seems to be hidden from us in our regular life. You might call it secret knowledge. You might call it gnosis, you know, like the ancients did. There's something there, like like a mystery, like the mystery religions used to allude to in classical antiquity. There's some knowledge there that you have in this experience, that you earn or gain in this experience, that you know, and you know to be true. And when you come out of the experience, you you either forget it, you partly forget it, or you simply can't communicate it. You don't have the words, you don't have the concepts, you can't communicate it. It's a way of knowing without knowing, if that makes sense. A way of knowing without knowing. So intuition might be a good word for that, but it's not exactly right. And what that knowledge is about, it's even more significant, because it's not just secret knowledge. It's the most secret knowledge, it's knowledge of what you are at the deepest level knowledge of what reality is at the deepest level knowledge of what god is at the deepest level questions that we ask and never have any way of answering you you know it in mystic experience you don't you just know it you experience it and so you you don't you, there's no reason to question it you know it you've earned something there some deep important profound answer to the deep important profound questions and yet you can't communicate it it's hard to it's hard even to describe what it is you know or how it is you know and if you try it sounds to most people like gobbledygook and i have tried to explain this before especially when we did our um, carl jung series um talking about the cloud of association, if you guys remember me bringing that up, it's like when you have an idea, when you have a thought, especially if you're having trouble understanding it, if you're trying to understand it, very often you'll have images that come to mind um, or words or concepts, and they're related, you know, it's like there's some little bit of what you're trying to get, get at in this example, in that example, and what you end up with is a cloud of associations. And there's some thread that runs through this cloud of associations that points to the core of what it is you're trying to understand. It's the thing you're trying to understand. And you're talking around it. You're talking around it. You know, you're close to it, but you can never quite get there because there aren't words for it. Because there aren't concepts that you can use to attach to it. So you dance around it. You play this little dancing analogy game. And that's interesting, because that's the way we think. It's the way we process, you know. It's also the way we speak. You know, people don't realize that, that words are like that. The, the postmodernists point this out, and I think it's really, it's really important. That when I bring up a word of any, of any kind, and you ask me, what does that word mean? That I have no choice but to use other words to describe what that word means. What am I doing? I'm giving you synonyms. If I, if I don't know what the word means, and all I can do to back that up is to give you other words, then you continue to ask, what do they mean? What do they mean? You know, and these related words, maybe they're a little further away from the word I wanted to use it to begin with. They don't mean exactly the same thing, just something similar. And next thing you know, I have 50 words like that, that surround this idea that I'm trying to, I'm trying to get to. And what they call that is infinite deferral of meaning. One word If I want to describe what it means, I use another. If you ask me what that word means, I use another, and so on and so forth. And what you end up with is this cloud of words, this cloud of associated words, and whatever thread it is that runs through them all, that connects them all, that is the thing I'm trying to get to. And Jordan does something like this today. He does something like this with stories from the Bible Specifically, Old Testament stories, Genesis stories. He's he's trying to use these very early, very fundamental Judeo-Christian stories to come up with something like that, like a cloud of associations that describes something that we can't describe. God. What is God? It's unknowable somehow, but is it possible To come up with a cloud of associations? Is it possible for your unconscious to generate hints, like a breadcrumb trail of some kind, that you can string together to get some semblance of this idea that is unknowable, to know something unknowable somehow? And I've tried to explain how this knowing without knowing works, why it is that I'm so confident about certain things when we're talking about God and and consciousness, and all the things I like to talk about. And I have a level of confidence that, as an example, Kyle doesn't have. And he 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 pressures me on that. He pushes me on that. And I think that's good. But it's not something that I shirk from, because I have this capacity of intuition that tells me when I'm on to something, or it tells me when I'm off the path. It's like It's like a metal detector for the truth. And I'm just waving it around this cloud of associations. And I'm following the beeps. Here it is. There it is. You know? And Jordan does this talking about these biblical stories. So I want to try to lay this out for you and see what you make of it. So Jordan's talking to Joe Rogan about these early biblical stories. He's talking about the spirit of, that describes God in each one of them. Whatever that means. Thread that runs through the stories. So he begins like this. He says, In the story of Adam and Eve, God is the spirit that you walk with unselfconsciously in a properly tended garden. What what does he mean by that? Well, that's the story of Adam and Eve. So we've got this story. What happens before Adam and Eve eat the fruit get kicked out of the garden and suffer, you know, and suffer forever. What happens before that? What happens in the garden? Adam and Eve are naked and they're not concerned about being naked, right? They're walking with God in the garden. They're in the presence of God. They're unself-conscious. They don't care that they're naked. They're existing right along with God in exactly the same way God exists. They're free they're unself-conscious they're not worried they're not anxious they're not ashamed and they're walking in the garden of eden and that's what he means by a properly tended garden jordan will say that's the proper mix of chaos and order so in the story of adam and eve god is described as the spirit that you walk with unself-consciously in a properly tended garden So that means something. That story means something. God is like this. What is that? Then he pushes on to the next. He says, how about the story of Cain and Abel? He says, in this story, you have another picture. That is God as the spirit that punishes you if you make poor sacrifices. What does that mean? Well, are you giving it your all or not, Jordan says. He says, so God is the spirit that rejects false sacrifices. It's hard to understand the Cain and Abel story. Why does why is Abel, why does God look favorably on Abel and not on Cain? Both of them are, are sacrificing to God in the story. Abel sacrifices his sacrifices, Cain his sacrifices, and God doesn't smile on Cain. And Cain's bitter about that, ends up killing his brother over That's the story. And Jordan says, in that story, God is the spirit that punishes you if you make poor sacrifices. God is the spirit that rejects false sacrifices. So whatever it is Cain is sacrificing isn't good enough. Abel's sacrificing what he needs to. Cain is not. What does that mean? What ways in our lives are we required to make sacrifices? Or do we have the choice of doing so or not? In what instances do we find ourselves in that situation where we have to choose something to sacrifice? And we might make a mistake. Well, I don't know, but God is the spirit that punishes you if you do it wrong. Then he goes on to the story of Noah. He says, in in Noah, God is the spirit that calls the wise to batten down the damn hatches. He says, if you prepare, you are manifesting faith in that spirit. The spirit that calls you to batten down the damn hatches. The spirit that causes you to prepare. So I think we can all all imagine instances in our life like that. Planning and preparing and, and, and all that sort of thing. Imagine some part of us that calls out from within us some psychological spirit right, that says, You should be prepared if the worst happens. Don't you see signs of this or that and the other? Should you take steps to prepare for that? And we sometimes listen to those voices and we sometimes don't. I can't help but think about the the prepper TV shows out there, all the doomsday preppers. You know, they're listening to that spirit. (laughs) What happens if they're right, you know? Then he says, in the Tower of Babel, You have God as the spirit that punishes the technological pretensions of mankind. Jordan says, they want to replace the mystery of being with their own pretensions. And what happens is no one can talk to each other anymore. That's the state we're in right now. That's why Matt Walsh can make a movie entitled, What is a Woman? We can't even agree on that. That's a Tower of Babel. God damn, it's right on, Jordan. So what is the spirit that punishes the pretensions of mankind? When mankind thinks his knowledge is sufficient, when mankind thinks that it can replace the ultimate mysteries, that it can solve them even. That gets us into trouble. I don't I mean we can think about we can think about a new, uh, a new vaccine that we've all, been, uh, we've all been exposed to in recent years, right? While we're talking about the technological pretensions of mankind, and we tell each other that it's safe, and we tell each other that it's effective, and we tell each other that you're wrong if you don't, if you don't you know, submit to it without any regard to testing or to safety or the long-term consequences or, or anything like that. Would you call that Pretensions? When man begins to act like God, like he knows what's best. You know, the powers that be know what's best for each and every one of us. It's dangerous, right? Then he says, then you have the story of Abraham. God is presented in that story as the spirit that calls the overprotected and privileged. That's Abraham. To the catastrophic adventure of their life. Jordan says, get out of your comfortable bed. Get out there and suffer your adventure. So in the story of Abraham, if you don't know, he's an old man living in his father's house, being taken care of his whole life. He's already an old man, and he's done nothing but stay in his comfortable bed. He's he's not lived. And one day God, God calls out to him and says, what are you doing? You're alive. You should be living your life. You should be living the adventure of your life. You should be writing your story. Get out of bed and go fucking do it. How many of us find ourselves comfortable in our routines? Find ourselves risk-averse, no longer wishing for new experiences, no longer wishing for adventure? How many of us find ourselves just wanting to be taken care of? And just, in a sense, throwing our life away. We're not living it. We're not seizing it we're just letting it go by. And there's a spirit in us that makes us anxious if we if we let that happen. It's like where is this anxiety coming from? Because you're sitting on the goddamn couch. Get out there and do something. You know, follow your your interests. Write your story. And then Jordan says, all of this is an attempt to characterize Yahweh. That's God, of course, in the the Old Testament. So you could say, what is the spirit that you walk with unselfconsciously through the well-tended garden, and the spirit that calls you to adventure, and the spirit that punishes tyranny? That'd be the Exodus story. What do they have in common? Well, that's Yahweh, whatever that is. There's an attempt to characterize the nature of that spirit. And then there's a twist on that in the New Testament. And the conclusion is that the Spirit of Yahweh, expressed in all these different ways, is the same Spirit that calls people voluntarily to bear the catastrophe of their life. And that's the union of God and man. Buddy. So that's it. That's basically the meat of what Jordan said in this little monologue that blew me away. And I think the... The part that hit me with the most force is when he says, What do they have in common? All all these spirits described in these different stories. And his answer is, Well, that's God, whatever that is. (laughs) I love it. It's like, Yes, that's how you know without knowing. So he says, That's God. Whatever that is. The thing I'm pointing to, the thing, that thing is God. Whatever that is, whatever that means. See, it's knowing without knowing. And you can see that in the stories. You can, you can parse it out from the stories. What's the Spirit of God as described in this particular story or that particular story? And if what we're getting at is the Spirit of God each and every time, we have some sort of cloud of associations. And we can try to find that thread that goes through all of them. And when we can, find, when we can identify that thread, what, have we, what do we have? What is that? That's God. It's a way of knowing without knowing. So that brings me to my conclusion. This will be maybe as long as, as, as the bit of the podcast I wanted to touch on with you. But follow, follow along. I mean, this is how I see it. So Jordan's analysis is unbelievable as far as I'm concerned. And it's, it's figured out how to do something that I have never managed to figure out how to do. You know, I love to talk about my own religious experience, my own mystical experience. And yet it sounds like gobbledygook to most people. You know, I get a lot more questions than nods of the head of understanding. I haven't been able to figure out how to put into words the experience that I had or the knowledge that I have that allows me to be certain about certain religious ideas boggles Kyle's mind like how are you so certain about this why don't you question this or why aren't you skeptical like you should be like I am like everybody else is because I had an experience that that gives me intuition of what is the true path where I'm in error and where I'm not and Jordan has figured out how to describe that and I've Never been been able to manage it. So I had an experience beyond myself, and in that state, experienced the divine. That knowledge is, however, unknowable. I know that's a paradox, but it's the truth. It cannot refer to anything in the world. And so there are no concepts and no words to describe them. The best we can do is offer imperfect analogy after imperfect analogy. And yet, there is a private, unspoken knowledge that survives the mystical experience. We know it, but can only imperfectly communicate it. As Laozi said in the Tao Te Ching, the Tao that can be spoken of is not the true Tao. But here, Jordan manages to to display clearly how divine knowledge is known privately, how it can be understood without being able to be spoken of. It is a matter of not knowing, of intuiting the error around the analogies and navigating by feel. By knowing what is error in each we chip away the imperfections to reveal something we know not. It is this ability to recognize the imperfections that we take with us from the mystic experience. And in knowing what is imperfect, we infer without exactly knowing what its opposite must be. We know without knowing what we are, what God is. It's something like solving a riddle. Jordan sees the same process captured in the stories of the Old Testament. As if the ancients left for their ancestors something they knew only unconsciously and encoded it piecemeal into their stories. They carried on the truth for their future selves to discover, so to speak. The narratives are the imperfections to be shaved away and the truth left revealed, the nature of God itself. From the story of Adam and Eve, we learn that God is the spirit you walk with unselfconsciously in a properly tended garden. What is this narrative telling us? That there is a state of being where we overcome self-consciousness where we can be our genuine selves and freely add to the creative order of the world. This is a state where we are in intimate relation with God, where we walk with it side by side. And the implication is that this state is good and desirable, and the Spirit, too, desires it for us. In the story of Cain and Abel, God is the spirit that punishes you if you make poor sacrifices. This narrative recognizes the role we play in our ongoing creation, in our path of becoming. It invites us to pick up where God left off, to make of ourselves what we see as good or even great. This spirit calls us to voluntarily kill off the parts of ourselves that are holding us back from what we might become. It calls us to make those sacrifices, the right sacrifices. In the story of Noah, God is the spirit that calls the wise to batten down the damn hatches. This narrative tells us to be forever vigilant and prepared for what might come to consider the future and our future selves always, to realize that we are more than just ourselves and more than just this moment, to recognize the timelessness within us, the immortality of the soul and of the force of life that will inherit the legacy we leave behind. In the Tower of Babel story, God is the spirit that punishes mankind for substituting the mystery of being for their own pretensions. This narrative shows a spirit that calls us to humility, that recognizes our greatness, our kinship with the divine, but cautions us never to believe our knowledge to be complete. This spirit demands recognition of the ultimate mystery, which can never be an object of knowledge, but which makes all knowledge possible. In the story of Abraham, God is the spirit that calls the overprotected to the catastrophic adventure of their life. The command to suffer your own adventure. The spirit in this story recognizes the div- the divinity of experience that it is good. It demands that we seek out adventure, that we have new experiences, that we do not let the story of our lives go unwritten. This is connected to the spirit calling out our creativity. For it is in living that our actions, judgments, and interactions transform ourselves and the world. Now we can see what has been laid out to describe the spirit, which we call God. And we chip away at the narrative elements. We try to reveal the thread that unites them, the spirit that runs through each story. It is the spirit that wants us to, to be unself-consciously creative and to offer of ourselves to the world. It wants us to create of ourselves what we consider good and to embody it in the world. It wants us to recognize our immortality, that we extend beyond the individual, and so take interest in forming the future too it wants us to hold true to the great mystery within us and within the world which lies forever outside our knowledge and it beckons us to explore to experience and to voluntarily suffer the adventure of our lives to live not simply wait to die to experience the great mystery that we are the thread that runs through these whatever it might be Jordan tells us, is what we mean by God. So what could we say this is, do you think? What is God? According to these stories, it is the mystery that cannot be known. The creative force of the cosmos, which extends to and lives within our creative nature. It invites us to continue the act of creation by directing the transformation of our current selves, as well as the undetermined future. It is also the force that punishes us for failing to do so, for failing to make the proper sacrifices, for failing to participate in the creative endeavor of reality. It is a spirit we should be intimate with, we should walk closely with, that we should identify with. Doing so is the key to sovereignty, to recognizing the thing that we are, and to participate in being without fear and without doubt, to be God on earth.
0: Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go.